Roe vs. Wade. What did it mean on June 23rd of this year, and what does it mean since June 24th of this year when SCOTUS overturned it? Let's talk about it on an all-new bonus podcast entitled C28. CJ, start us off. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll just be frank. I probably don't know <clears throat> as much about this as you do at this point. I know you've um, done some more homework than I have. So uh, basically what I know is what the average person would know from looking at social media. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I think I know about this situation of uh, Roe v. Wade being struck down, abolished, you know, whatever um, is that basically abortion is illegal in America now. That's what I saw on Facebook. Do you believe that? So, well, that's what Facebook told me. Okay. Is that now no longer can any woman in the United States have an abortion. Mm. Well, why don't It's we... actually been, it's been removed. They, they, they took white out to the constitution and just blotch it out because it was in the constitution beforehand. Gotcha. So you're pointing out the confusion. Right. That's happening. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So well, I am your average social media user. Gotcha. Today. That's what he is. In so our episode. The idea that we kind of discussed <laughs> moments before is uh, there's so there's so much to talk about and um, we want to be tremendously sensitive because uh, the nature of the conversation is uh, is very serious. I think it should be. And so we want to be careful with how we say things and assumptions we make. And um, I think that on online, if you just stay online and you look at uh, the Roe v. Wade uh, case and it being overturned, there's a lot of bad information out. And so we could spend hours talking about the bad information that's out there and, and what and the good information that's out there. We could talk about the theology of Roe versus Wade. We could talk about abortion. We could talk about our own personal experiences and uh um, and other um, other experiences through this, um, we could dogmatically come in and like a bull in a china shop. Um, and so we've spent some time thinking about like what do we want this episode to be? What is our purpose in even putting this out? And just to clarify, and CJ, you can add or or detract from what I say here. But my goal was to talk specifically about um, the recent decision on June 24th of this year regarding uh, the Supreme Court of the United States overturning uh, what, is, what is known as Roe versus Wade. And so what does that mean? So that's our, our topic here. It's not necessarily to talk about our beliefs on abortion, actually. It's what does this mean to the follower of Jesus? Um, and mm-hmm. so hopefully by the end, we'll be able to talk a little bit about what this decision means. And so I think a good place to start because of the confusion that you brought up, um, what is Roe vs. Wade? How to get started? What's the story behind this? And uh, and I think that would help a lot of people because I did go around in the last week and ask people, hey, um, explain to me what Roe vs. Wade meant in the 60s and 70s. And there wasn't one person that gave me a good answer. There were people that knew in general kind of what it meant. But let's break that down so that we we can at least start the conversation with good um, understanding. And um, and if I miss something, an important part, feel free to throw in the comments what that is so that we can kind of learn. And and maybe there'll be a follow-up to this, and we'll explain why I believe there's going to be a follow-up uh, podcast to this. 
and uh, and then we can have probably a little bit more of a theological conversation around um, this. So, uh, so yeah. So like part of what I want to do, like bouncing off of what you said, is um, I have a small list of examples that are actually from social media, right? And comments or posts or tweets or whatever um, of, I think, uh, misunderstandings or disinformation or, or something along those lines regarding all this. And so, like you said, part of my hope is that we can provide a little bit of clarity in the conversation um, because a lot of what's flying around out there, I think, can be pretty overwhelming for the just average person trying to formulate some thoughts, right? Yeah. On what's going yeah. on. So, well, and, and if there's, and if there's such thing as a, is a hot topic, a sensitive topic, uh, yeah. you know, uh, this is it. And, and I'm putting the cart before the horse here, but I think part of the terminology that we've began to use around this conversation has created a false dichotomy in um, belief systems in that when somebody says one phrase or another phrase, uh, there are things attached to that that we assume um, about that person on both sides, and it creates a horrible discussion environment. And um, so, anyways, with that, uh, what if we talk about the beginning of Roe v. Wade? Okay. So, January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court issued a decision on a case, 7 to 2. That due process, that the due process clause of the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides a fundamental, what's considered right to privacy, and then underneath that right to privacy, uh, they determined that it protects a woman's right to an abortion. And so, as um, they had this, they had a case, and and we're kind of working backwards, but they had a case, and they decided that that right to privacy clause includes a woman's right to an abortion. Uh, the court also held and determined that the right to an abortion is not absolute and must be balanced against the government's interest to protect women's health and prenatal life. So, so to interrupt there, yep. well, you, so if I'm understanding correctly, um, e- abortion is not explicitly named in the constitution. Exactly. Okay. Yep. I think that's important. Yeah. The yeah. So um, it was an implication. Yeah. So the 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 Bill of Rights. Uh, one of the one of the fears when the Bill of Rights were being added, it and, and the amendments were added is that uh, if you get too specific on certain things, it's going to exclude other certain things. And so the intention of the Supreme Court is to interpret the Constitution and make sure those things are protected. Um, the most, the one we see often through the news is gun rights, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and there's these decisions being made about, uh, what guns are protected. Um, you know, right to bear arms. What does that look like? Well, this mm-hmm. is being applied to the right to privacy. Well, what about the woman's right to privacy to make her own decisions, private decisions? Uh, and how does that apply into the world of abortion? And so the, uh, Supreme court of the United States had determined that a woman's right to an abortion is protected under that right to privacy, and um, and because of that, it it changed how the states could make laws. But we'll get to that in a second. So, um, how did this SCOTUS, which is the Supreme Court of the United States, so if you see that all caps S C O T U S, that means Supreme Court of the United States, 
And so people say SCOTUS, and uh, that's a shorten that long phrase and not get annoyed by that. Uh, so uh, a, a female named Norma McCorvey um, in, in 1969 became pregnant with her third child, and she wanted to get an abortion. She lived in Texas, and in that time, abortion was illegal in Texas with the exception of protecting the mother's life. Uh so because it was illegal, uh, she gained attorneys and filed a lawsuit against the district attorney who is named Henry Wade. So one of the questions come up, right? When you hear that, you're like, why is it not McCorvey v. Wade? That's because for the sake of privacy, they named her Jane Roe. And, and so in all the cases, she was named Jane Roe. So it wasn't connected with her in real life. Because she wasn't sure how this would turn out or what kind of hate she would get from this or what kind of support or or that she get from this and so uh, they changed her name and so they changed her name in all the court documents to jane Rowe, last name Rowe, and the uh, lawsuit was filed against the district of uh, attorney in that district who is named henry wade so that is where Rowe versus wade comes from the lawsuit alleged that the texas abortion laws which were basically it's illegal was unconstitutional and there was a three court, I don't know, a three judge court uh, assembled, and they together uh, ruled in Roe's favor, saying that it's unconstitutional for Texas to ban completely abortions. And so then the natural question would be, well, that's not the Supreme Court. So what happens is when a lower court makes a decision, you can take that to the appellate court, which then goes to the Supreme Court. And so that's what they did. They uh, the parties involved then appealed this case in the Supreme Court. And this is when the Supreme Court then ruled and affirmed the lower court's decision that the Texas laws were unconstitutional and therefore they were overturned. And that is where Roe versus Wade took place. And so what were some of the cultural implications from that moment on? Gotcha. So... Um, Part of the implications are this, that whenever there's a Supreme Court decision, uh, there's a precedent. And what that means is that if, um, if the Supreme Court says that uh, nobody that says it is unconstitutional to allow any American to buy a three-bedroom house, this is a really bad example, but I'm just trying to keep it super simple. Yeah. So that would mean that then the states can't go and make it legal for them to buy a three or over a three bedroom house. So like the precedent is set by that uh, Supreme Court. And so lower courts can't make a, a decision that goes against that. Um, and again, so we see this in, um, in the gun control you know, arena. Like there's, there's various thoughts on, on what guns should be protected constitutionally and what do the constitution have in mind? Well, the Supreme Court's job is to been is to say well it does say the right to bear arms but does that mean bazookas does that mean ar-15s does it mean shotguns does it mean rifles does that mean pistols and so uh that's why it goes up to the supreme court and then they make that decision now say someday uh the constitution says um that it is illegal to ban uh ar-15s that would mean that no states can ban ar-15s uh, and then the inverse is, is also applied. So if it's like, well, uh, you they say you can't ban 30-round mags. Well, then no state can ban 30-round mags. And so uh, 
and you go into, you know, cars, you know, um, transportation, right? Uh, how you move about the country, all these things go up to the Supreme Court and they make these decisions. It goes up from lower courts to Supreme Court, I mean, to appellate courts to Supreme Courts. And so the reason why it's such a big deal that the Supreme Court does is that's the highest court. And so let me interrupt for a second. So mm-hmm. what you're saying is that the Supreme Court recently decided that Roe v. Wade, or that, that abortion is not a federally protected right. Correct. Yep. But the implication of that is not necessarily that now it's a federal crime. Right. So just because it's not federally protected doesn't make it a federal crime. Exactly. So abortion is not now unanimously across the board illegal in the United States. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And and what, what CJ is pointing out is this confusion that because the const, because the Supreme Court overruled that decision, now it is illegal to get abortion. That's not true. What it means is that uh, it's not protected in the same sense that that specific case alleged. And so, and so now we're getting down into what you know, kind of what that means now. If that if that is true, so what does that mean for us? So I what saw, are the changes that happen? So one thing that I saw on social media is that now because of the recent what is i don't even know what the proper terminology is like striking down of roe v wade it's i think it overturned overturned okay Mm -hmm. perfect so the the overturning of that decision means that now women under any circumstance in every state are forced to give birth should they become pregnant no so what what it means is that the, the fear of some is that the possibility now is that that can happen because it's not protected through that Supreme Court ruling. So now theoretically, and other and states have done this now from what I understand, they have, they have gone back to uh, the laws that they had before that uh, was overturned and, and it is illegal in some states. So what happens is states can now decide for themselves how what they believe about abortion and uh and so now that's that's scary for people who have various beliefs because um it can go back to being completely protected or it can go back to being completely uh illegal Mm -hmm. and so so is is this supreme court ruling for the pro-life movement movement and, and lumping in uh because there's kind of two two trains of thought i think when it comes to is the general pro-life movement, and then also uh, maybe what would identify as like an abolitionist movement, right, for abortion. So is this um, overturning, is it really something to celebrate then for those um, that are pro-life? That's a good question. Uh, So I think that if you are pro-life, what has happened in the Supreme Court is uh, monumental. So. In, in that sense, there's something to be celebrated in that. Uh, on the other hand, like it's like you can't celebrate at halftime. Yeah, that's good. And what we are, what, what the implications are, is that now, if states make decisions, uh, the reality is your vote has a bigger impact. Now, there's going to be a lot of like, well, I'm part of like, you know, the political minority in my state state or whatever but you know i mean i think we'd all come to the conclusion that 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 doesn't mean you don't vote Mm -hmm. you know and so so it's a victory but not the victory right because right now what happens just because you know the dam has broken 
that means that now you have to do something with the water. And wow. <laughs> like that? <laughs> did you just come up with that? Yeah. That was pretty good. I saw you take a drink of that, that <laughs> soda. And uh, the, 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 the truth is that, that what, what I am interested to see now, because there are different political leanings throughout the country, and I think that sometimes uh, what is communicated through very media sources doesn't actually represent the United States as a whole. Mm -hmm. And where you see that a bit more is when states begin to have control um, over what's right and wrong and what's good. And, and uh, I, I was listening to, uh, I won't say the show, but I was listening, to, I listened to shows that kind of oppose my views on purpose because I like to understand like how people come to their conclusions. Was it the view? <laughs> you can't do Dude, that. I hear it from your office. Don't, no, I'm just kidding. He doesn't listen to the view. So, uh, what he said is that <laughs> nobody should determine for somebody else what is morally right and wrong. Oh. And, uh, isn't he determining that for me? Yeah. Well, oh, okay. and also, I mean, nobody, nobody really actually believes that. Yeah. Because it makes the, a good the, tweet the, though. The, there'd be no, there'd be no <laughs> laws and rules, you know? Like, yeah. And so I think that we have to come to the conclusion to think rightly about things and we can't make dramatic statements because we, we do believe that we have uh, morals like in what's right and wrong. Part of the argument, uh, the, the counter argument to Christians saying that there would be no morality with, without God, um, the, the counter argument is yes, there can be because we can decide together what's right and wrong. And so nobody's arguing <laughs> Only that, by common grace. that there is no right and wrong. <laughs> True. <laughs> the, the reality is like what... Uh, what do we determine is right and wrong? Yeah. And I think that, you know, for instance, we get down to, uh, you know, should so many people be able to come into your house and take all your stuff? We're like, no, that's not right. Yeah. That's wrong. <laughs> and then we're like, well, how do we enforce that? Well, let's make a law <laughs> that says it's wrong. Okay. Yeah. And then what happens when they do it? Well, I don't know. We told them not to. No, you hire cops to you know, enforce the laws. That <laughs> Unless the, it's Texas. <laughs> then they're taking their life in their own hands, yeah, breaking into houses. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have these, you know, you have a, a justice system that is supposed to take care of those things, right? Yeah. And obviously I'm talking about in a perfect world. Right. And like, the Bible speaks negatively about whatever that host was and what he said. Is it judges? They did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. And that's negative, right? Yeah. Things were falling apart. Things yeah. were crumbling. There was no morality yeah. because everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Right. Right. So it wasn't actually right. It was just right to them. Right. And exactly. That, so, I mean, that's like Old Testament, you know, that's my truth kind of stuff. Well, and we saw some, going on. Uh, some, some new uh, SCOTUS judges that were being interviewed. And some of the things they had to say is like, like my job here is to determine as the constitution has said, mm -hmm. what is right and wrong. Not necessarily personally what I believe is right and wrong. And I think that's hard for some people to wrap their mind around because how can you separate the two? Yeah. And I don't know that it can ever be done perfectly. Right. That's, that is a problem, like yeah. an inherent problem. It is. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the justice system is never going to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, my belief system says it because we're all sinful. Mm -hmm. Right. And other people say it's because everybody, everybody's biased. And I'm like, well, there's, there's probably some truth in both. Yeah. And so when when the Supreme Court overturns that ruling, what happens is the gates open, the floodgates open, water comes rushing in and then and down to the states and now the states have to deal with the water. And so what, what do you do with that? Well, there's mm -hmm. going to be legislation. There's going to be new representatives. It's going to matter even more uh, what your representatives believe is, is right and wrong and, and good and bad. And essentially when, when there is a political race that's happening, 
what it comes down to is everybody talks about what's right and wrong. So I, I'm not going to deal with this this concept that we believe that nobody can nobody should tell each other what's right and wrong. We do that every time there's a political anything, every time there's a vote on anything, we all agree. That's why, you know, you do think it's wrong when somebody goes and steals. That's why you can't, you say it's wrong for somebody to steal my kid out of the yard. It's wrong for somebody to rape my child, right? We, we know that there's right and wrong. And so now we have to determine that. And there's different beliefs on that when it comes to abortion. Well, I mean, even on the, like, I, I would agree unanimously, people believe that there's right and wrong because I mean, one side will argue that it's wrong that they don't receive uh, full free healthcare from the government. Yeah. Right. And they believe yeah. that's wrong. That mm -hmm. They are being wronged. Yeah. That that's not a real thing or that that student loan debt isn't being forgiven. They believe that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they've been set up to fail or, or whatever the argument is. Yeah. I just talked but, to a guy that said he doesn't think it's wrong to hit his wife because he's training her. Oh my. Dude, every single one of us would say <laughs> that's wrong. Oh my. <laughs> but yet on the other hand, he thinks that's not wrong. So what do we do with that? Well, the way our country works is what does the majority of us think, right? That's the, that's how democracy works. Yeah. I know. Like, I was going to say, I can't say it on a podcast. No. <laughs> what I, I want to do to him. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously a minority and he's, he, he was ridiculous. completely goonery and yeah. ridiculousness. But anyway, so, I mean, I, what we're, what we're talking about now is like that. Let's not pretend there's not right and wrong. Yeah. And that everybody believes there is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And so then the tension comes is like within abortion, we believe there is right and wrong. And then I'll explain what I think the next level of the tension is within abortion. I think that when we're trying to determine uh, who can own guns or not, or what guns are allowed, or how can people move about the country freely and what is restrictive. I think when we're talking about that, it's like, it's harder to move about the country this way or easier this way. Um, or that, you know, owning guns, you know, is okay and safe for the most part. What are we, we're trying to stop the, the few that are ending, you know, mass amounts of life. And so we're trying to regulate that. It's not all bad, right? Mm -hmm. I think the reason, part of the reason why abortion is such a sensitive subject, um, is because there is no middle ground with it. That I think that there are people who th who th who think that what you're dealing with is life and death. Yeah, it's and, and I think that people there, there's perspectives that it's like it, it's murder or not, and so obviously it's going to be, you know, it's all in or all out. And then what doesn't help is that we can't help but create categories, right? If you if you don't agree with my position on abortion here, that means you're over there. And it, and it limits, check this out, I think it limits the ability to have discussions and actually have reasonable conversations. And what's difficult is that sometimes there are different belief systems that are in the majority and the minority. And, um, and the, one of the big tensions is, should the government have the ability to determine what a woman does with her body? Mm -hmm. On the other side, should a government be able to protect human life if it is in that woman's body? And that is where I believe these tensions come from. And now I will say this, the discussion really isn't, should it be banned? I mean, should it, should it have regulation or not? Because nearly the entire country believes that there should be regulation on abortion. It's coming down to the, the states are going to end up voting on uh, what that regulation looks like. Mm-hmm. And um, some states are going to say all illegal 
Some are going to say all illegal except for this, these, uh, these considerations. Uh, some are going to say completely legal, third trimester, day before the baby's born, abortion is okay. And people, the way our country works, whether you like it or not, you have a responsibility in this country. So this got told to me one time and it was, uh, it was eye opening in a monarchy. There's a King and all the weight falls upon that King and he makes the decisions and he's supposed to try to keep his keep his kingdom happy, but he doesn't have to, he doesn't listen to the people. There's no votes that sway anything. Uh, he hears what he wants to hear, but he makes the decisions that he wants in a democracy. The people are King because we are the ones voting for who our president is voting for who our representatives are, who our legislators are. And, you know, we understand that it's not that how we see those votes being counted might not be perfect for us. Like we think there should be more weight for this, or we should take into consideration population um, or, or a geographical locations and population and separate states more, or, you know, each individual vote should count, uh, not groups of votes should count or whatever. But the idea is that we're king here. We make these decisions. So that responsibility is on the individual voter. And what are the repercussions of that? Would you say CJ? So, I mean, it does obviously add a tremendous amount of weight and responsibility to the individual. Um, something you said uh, piqued my curiosity because you talked about this idea of like, there's going to be different belief systems in, in the majority or the minority at different points of time. Right. Um, and we're obviously, we're just talking about the United States here. I think I, I don't, I, let me rephrase. I don't think that you could at all argue that Orthodox Christianity is in the majority in the United States right now, right? I, I don't think that Orthodox Christianity, um, not just in name, right? We're talking right. about like what people actually believe. Yep, not, I would agree 100%. Not yeah. saying like, I'm a Christian because I go to church on Easter and Christmas. Yeah. doesn't count, right? Yeah. I'm talking about people that are committed followers of Jesus. I think that worldview is very much in the minority. Yeah. Um, and yet I see on social media over and over and over the overturning of Roe v. Wade like the, the fault, right? I'm using air quotes here for those listening. Mm -hmm. The fault of that is being, at least what I see on social media, being laid squarely at the feet of Christians, which is confusing to me because it's not the majority view. Yeah. Right? Mm. And I really, as much as um, I do think that Roe v. Wade is a victory, right? And a step in the right direction, I am, there's very little a very little bit of me that thinks that what God says about abortion had anything to do with it being overturned, right? Really comes down to what does the constitution say, which is what their job is, right? right. So all, although I wish in an ideal world, all of our, you know, representatives and, and judges were Christians and loved God and cared about his law and the gospel. I don't think that's what was happening mm -hmm. here. I think it really came down to what does the constitution protect? It's not this, even if they wished it had. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Because really that, that constitution, that, that SCOTUS decision was not based upon uh, new necessarily new material or anything like that. They're all the, all the Supreme court justices, they are bound by what is the letter and spirit of the law in the constitution and what does it what is it meant to actually protect yeah and uh i guess what I, my point is like that um the the overturning of roe v wade while it is something to celebrate for christians 
I'm not convinced it was the result of a Christian worldview that it happened. You're, you're saying that, that, um, that while it's a, a win in some sense for those who believe that abortion should be regulated or illegal altogether, that the decision was made just because sincerely it doesn't fit as a protect as a protected part of the constitution. Right. And so now we're going to see really the results of individuals votes held to a held, which is holding more weight now. Right. And so I guess part of, I don't know, I went through this, through this phase of being like really excited about it. And then a little bit, I don't know. I, I struggled to say this, but like a little bit less optimistic still about the future because, um, I think that because the majority of Americans are most likely not born again Christians, that when it's in the state's hands, I think we will see it gradually get back to something similar to the equivalent of Roe v. Wade or even less restrictive than we've seen in the past. Yeah, so that's a good point. Because now that it's back in the state's hands, like California is not going to vote to save babies. (laughs) Like realistically, right? I mean, we're just outnumbered Mm -hmm. here. And yeah. so I don't know. I'm there's, there's a part of me, obviously that's like, that's great. I'm really glad that I got overturned. And I do, I do think that like instantaneously there will be lives saved because of that, because instantaneously there were States that made it much more difficult, if not impossible yeah. to get an abortion. I saw an article today that said that there is a, um, a spike in vasectomies. Oh, I thought it'd be interesting to, uh, like to see, I mean, for, for me to see that connection, like what, what's going on in the, in the minds of the men when abortions aren't allowed anymore? Like, are they being like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that like young men should go get a vasectomy um, because yeah. abortion is illegal, but what's going through the, the, the minds of, of these men. And well, uh, just the, like, I don't know. I, so I, I didn't know that. So I'm just processing that right in the moment, but that's really sad because their first, <laughs> their first option was to kill the baby mm-hmm. that they made mm-hmm. instead of taking responsibility of their own bodies. Yeah. So I don't like that, but yeah. like yeah. that just is another reflection of like the poor state of masculinity and manhood in the United States. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm, that I'm going to pass the buck onto a baby. Yeah. From my decision. Like, I don't know. I don't like that. So I a hundred percent agree with you. I'm trying to myself reserve kind of more of my passionate feelings <laughs> yeah. for episode two. Okay. So, and, and, okay. And, and to reveal like where I'm at, yeah. the reason why I think, uh, this discussion part two is going to happen yeah. is when we start seeing the ballots. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're going to start seeing the passion and the defenses and, and the scriptural support and, and things. And, and also to be honest, the, the pre the, the pressure into sensitivities, um, and how we go about these things, but that's going to happen when we start seeing things hitting ballots that now I think that there is a responsibility, a heavy responsibility, um, to make, uh, to, to vote, you know, um, yeah, with our, with, with our beliefs and, and, and we got to figure out what shapes that. So next part of the conversation that I wanted to hit and, and if I'm, and if I'm skipping over something important, CJ, just stop me. But, uh, um, I think that much of this conversation I believe comes down to when life begins. And let me explain why. I think that we would all agree that a baby that is born and in the hospital, um, a mom decides to kill that baby, we'd be appalled. Mm -hmm. Um, Hours earlier, 
that same person may think that that was legal. Yeah. And the, the biologically identical baby. Yes. Yeah. So I think that, so if that is true, and I think that statistically the vast majority of our country agrees that that is true, that they, they are the same baby in those moments. Okay. So then what we'd have to do is then step back another month and another month and another month prenatally and try to decide like, when does life begin? Because if we agree that portion is murder, and granted, there are a few. There's a few that, you know, the minority believe that until that baby is physically, uh, medically born, that it's the woman's choice. That's, it, it's almost nearly non-existent in comparison to the numbers we have in our country, that view. The majority say that that should be regulated because that is a baby. Um, but then what we do is we, okay, what about, you know, 30 two weeks what about 28 weeks what about 22 weeks what about 20 weeks what about 18 weeks what about eight weeks and then and and we got to go back and be like well what is going on with the baby then what's going on with the baby then? and we mm -hmm. try to make these decisions and what it comes down to i believe for the majority of our country so there's going to be that that very 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 small percent that think any regulation of when the baby's inside the mother um should be non-existent that's that's nearly not even worth discussing because it's such a minority but when does that life begin when does it become not murder right and that's the discussion and, and murder is a big word but i use it because that is the discussion that's why it's so heated yeah and and at the same time um there is this while we're talking about such a heated passionate subject there are real women behind these decisions um and 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 in a very real way the father of those babies don't really have much say. And so it's really the weight is put upon this woman to go through everything that childbirth is. And they got to make that decision. And um, in part two of this uh, podcast, whenever it comes out, I would like to discuss those dynamics a little bit. And mm -hmm. it's going to be a very rough discussion because no matter where you step, there's going to be a landmine there. Sure. Yeah. And I think that some landmines are worth being stepped on though. Yeah. And, um, I just think that there is a, there's a, there's a loving and gentle and kind way to go about it. Even though it still may hurt feelings, there's still a way to, that can, we can walk through that in a biblical way and have this discussion. But I, I'm saving that not for now, because what I want to do is prepare people to begin thinking about what does this decision mean now for us, just like people are going to be thinking, what does Roe versus Wade mean? What does mm -hmm. the overturning mean? <laughs> it means more work for the pro-life yep. movement. That's, exactly. I really think it does. Yeah. It, it means some of the work might be easier, but there's a greater quantity of work, yeah. I think. So among the stuff we just talked about, including mm -hmm. what the what the conversation is going to center around, and always, I don't know if you've ever had good discussions, some people call them debates or whatever, around abortion, many times it comes through the government intervention, right? But that is always usurped by when does life begin? Because we will go and we will fight to the death to save life, right? There are people all over the, all over the world that claim that. So then if we're going to go fight to the death for life, this is a conversation for the majority of our, our our country and our world that would agree this is a fight for life. Mm -hmm. We just need to figure out when that life begins. So check this out. We don't have to, maybe this is an episode two thing, but just to throw it out there. Um, so someone on my friends list, right? Like on my friends list on social media, 
um, was interacting with this argument of like, we have to decide when life is. And their counter to that was not all life do we care about. And they use the example of like a flea on a dog, right? Mm -hmm. We put pesticides on our dogs to get the parasite off of them. So they'll say, yes, it's alive, but it's a parasite that I don't want. Right. And that's a, I mean, like I said, this, maybe this is like episode two conversation, but no, it's good stuff. for the, I think it's good stuff for this one. Yeah. I'm, that's a dark place to yeah. be. You know, when, when we're thinking about like the life of a child being compared to a flea on a dog, mm -hmm. like, like a parasite or a tick or whatever you want to compare it to. And I, there's been so many of these conversations that I've been witnessing on social media and I really haven't engaged in any of them. Um, I, there's things I just never thought I would have to engage with yeah. as an argument, right? Because I, I was pretty confident, like, okay, we established like what life is. Well, the argument's changing because I'm seeing people say like, they don't care that yeah. it's life. It's a life I don't value. Yep. I'm like, that's a different conversation. Why don't we value this life? Yeah. And you know, I think that that, that lends itself to the third part of this conversation that if it's true then that the water runs down to the states and the states have to decide what is done with the water and the people make the decision on what's done with the water, uh, then that would mean that we have to be prepared now to intelligently have conversations mm -hmm. around abortion and be able to say the right thing the right way. Yeah, and have a robust enough theology to start to answer questions about why we even value life. Exactly. Right, like what is an image bearer? Yep. Like what what does Genesis say about what humans are? Yeah. Right. And I think that a lot of the confessions and catechisms from church history are really helpful in that area because some of the greatest minds from church history have put their answers down. Yeah. Right. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. it's, there's information out there already. Yeah. Um, but it, I can imagine a Christian being faced with that argument, right? The, the parasite argument. It's a, yeah. it's a kind of, it's a form of life I don't care about. Yeah. And really being stumped by that if they haven't deeply considered what it means to be human versus an animal. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so although I believe, I think statistically it's a very small group um, when you see prominent figures and, and now, you know, difference from 30 years ago is social media and YouTube and these, uh, these platforms, you mm -hmm. start seeing people say things that are literally shocking to your senses. Shocking. Uh, there was, um, you know, there's, there's people that's that say uh, that if 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 that baby was if I did give birth to that baby because I had to I would just kill it after it's on the operating table yeah you know and you just and you just would you and know, this isn't unique in human history that is true I mean or, there's tons of of um, sources from history where Christians were the ones going out to these pits where the greater more general culture would throw baby girls because they didn't value baby girls, mm -hmm. right? And so the Christians would go and find these infants in a literal pit of garbage because they were thrown away like mm -hmm. garbage and they would go out there and pull them out of those pits and adopt them. Yeah. And so this is not, this this discussion and this fight is not unique to our time, right? It's just a matter of like how we steward the this age-old problem of valuing life and understanding what life is from a Christian worldview. So I, I think that for me, looking back on the history 
of Christians who have defended life and who have cared about life and who understood it theologically, that gives me a little bit more courage, mm-hmm. right, in these things. Because like I said, we're not having to reinvent the wheel. Christians have known what they believed about these things for centuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since the early church, right? We could go back to to the very early church mm-hmm. um, and see examples of this. Yeah, and so it's just, it, and it's gonna, and I think that, that your, I think part of your point is that it's gonna be a reoccurring battle. And right now, um, some people are super excited about the SCOTUS decision. And and I think that we should uh, we should look at that as if the ball was just, the SCOTUS decision put the ball on the tee. Mm-hmm. And then w- what are we going to do with that? Yeah. And um, and I have no doubt that there are people, even Christians listening to this, um, that are thinking, I hope these guys don't come out and tell me that abortion should be regulated because it's my body, my choice. And, uh, and you know, I think that we're, um, I, I think it's very clear where we stand. I mean, probably just listening to thus far. Yeah. But, and I think you probably that hear it in our voice. What, what, what I <laughs> what enjoy is if we were able to, in part two of this, when we really start dissecting um, where we stand and scripturally why we stand there and morally why we stand there and the beliefs that we have, that, that these people can come back and listen to that also. Um, because I think it's it's a discussion that right now, we have to have these discussions. And that brings me to another point. Um, there have been many hot topic issues that Christians have fumbled. There's been opportunities there and uh, they come, they come in very arrogant and cocky, condescending and rude and unkind and ungentle. Mm-hmm. And nearly every single one of those attributes um, on the inverse are supposed to be used in confronting your brother in sin. Like throughout scripture, when you see confront your brother in sin, so that would be, so in that example, we're confronting a brother that we've acknowledged that it's, it's wrong. And we're like, they think this is wrong. And so we would think like, well, we come in and say whatever we want. You know, I got to say the truth. I say it how I want. And uh, the Bible oftentimes cautions the believer as we're going to walk into what we believe is confronting sin. And he uses words like kind and gentle and palatable and, uh, and, and with undergirded in love and things like that. Um, and I think that this is a conversation that if we want any movement, any good conversation, any thought-provoking uh, moments, that it's going to have to be done in gentleness and kindness and compassion and love and tenderness. And, um, and I think and only in that, that place, that environment, can these conversations really happen. Uh, because any five-year-old can come arrogantly and condescendingly make a comment and shut down the conversation. And that's not our goal. And and I think that part of what Christians are going to have to do, part of the point of this episode and the next episode we do on this, is that you need to know what you believe, why you believe it, and be able to articulate that to somebody with an opposing view. You got to be able to un, you got to be able to answer like what Pastor CJ was saying. We got to be able to answer um, why do we care about life in general because apparently that's part of the conversation and and i would i would argue that although i think it's a very very small portion that maybe that that portion has grown a little bit although yeah. small still had grown a little bit what that, worries me is the trajectory of the culture sure absolutely like a, a culture that increasingly devalues life yeah and increasingly is losing the line between not only creator and creation but between higher creation and lower creation and by higher creation, mm. I mean humans. Yeah. Right. And lower creation, I mean plants the and animals. Day. Exactly. 
So as we lose that line between higher and lower creation, um, we're, we are becoming animals and animals mm. are becoming, uh, <laughs> I almost said humanified, <laughs> but yeah. that's not the word. I can't think of the yeah. word, but they're, they're becoming people. Yeah. Right. And so as those two roles maybe don't switch, but there's this level playing field between values, mm-hmm. right. Um, on, on animals and humans, that's a much worse world to live in. And I do fear that is the trajectory currently of culture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another question I think that we're going to have to ask is not only why do we value life, but where does a life begin? You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I know we already said that, but like, that's part of what the, the, the Christian voter is going to have to defend because that's part of like the, the, the conversation. Uh, and we'd have to be able to articulate that. And, um, and, and also we're going to have to articulate, be able to articulate to somebody why we believe there's, there's right and wrong. And I think in the end, the conversation, um, if, if there's a reasonable conversation, it comes down to, we all believe there's right and wrong. It's just, mm-hmm. where do we get the morals and how do we define what is right and wrong? Yeah. And you know, there's different authorities by which we come to those conclusions. Yeah. Okay. So one more thing. Yep. Um, following the analogy of the dam breaking and the water running downhill, the implications, right. That we have to deal with now that the water's flowing. Um, what I see very commonly on social media right now <clears throat> is that Christians care about birth, not about the quality mm. of life of that person after birth. Yeah, I've seen that a lot too. Yeah. And so I think that is part of the water running downhill. Yeah. So is that fair? Um, as, as something to level against Christians. Um, and what is the responsibility of Christians in light of accusations like that? Yeah. Oh, this is a question That's for me. That's for you. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> and we can, we can both riff off that, but, um, is, is it a fair accusation? I don't think so. Well, I think so. <laughs> I, I just I, had this conversation. Was it you? Did we talk about this like yeah, the other day? I think so. Uh, That's why I thought it would be easy. <laughs> was was it you that was talking about like like what what is uh, what are what are our our laws right now and our provisions from states and stuff like that? Was that you that was talking to about that? Not that part, but we talked about like the idea of the idea of someone thinking that Christians only care about birth and not the mother or the child after birth sure is like maybe maybe the most ridiculous uh characterization of any people group i can think of yeah. that's a pretty big statement yeah. right but that is like it's so blatantly false yeah every church i've ever been a part of right very much involved in pregnancy help centers that that welcoming in single mothers right yeah. being willing to take children that no one else wants i've seen that everywhere yeah that i've been a member at a church um so and and like i said it's part of our heritage also right mm -hmm. so we can go back to church history and see that consistently um like uh mueller what's his first name gosh is it richard mueller i thought it was robert i can't remember anyways um a man from church history that is known for setting up orphanages right like we just have this heritage of caring about the child, yeah, not just about birth, yeah. Well, in so in a practical sense, so I, I, and we're going to get into something here now where anything we say is going to light fire on one side or the other. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think to your point, 
Um, I have never been a part of or associated with a church in any way that wasn't involved in the things that you described. So uh, pregnancy help centers, oftentimes what they have is uh, these women come in and they're like, I'm pregnant and I don't know if I want to keep the baby. I don't even know the first thing about usually they're like, I don't even know what my body's doing right now. Mm-hmm. I don't even know the process of it. And, and basically what they know is from movies and, and they're like, I have no money. Like my parents are going to kill me. I, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't know if I want to do this or not. And typically they provide things like, um, like education, right? Prenatal education, uh, that kind of have other people come in and walk along the side, these women, as they go, there's financial provisions for them. And then on the other side of that, when the baby is born, they can help walk through the adoption process. Uh, but typically what they're, what they love doing is watching these mothers, uh, just fall in love with their babies and then helping them and giving them what they need, whether it is like, I never, my mom never showed me what this looks like. My, my mom was, you know, not invested for these reasons. My dad was out of the picture for these reasons. I don't know what it's like to be a mother. I basically raised myself. How do I do this? And they provide uh, clothes and diapers and formula and then education. And they have these, uh, these, older women that have done this, be able to come in and, and help them along those processes and connection to churches, connection for to spiritual churches, support. Yeah. And, and then if the, if, if the woman's like, like, Hey, I don't want an abortion, but I, I can't, I, I can't keep this baby for whatever reason, maybe it's fears or some, some reality, you know, that, that we don't understand, but that they can't ha- have this baby. They help with the a- adoption process. Every church I've ever been a part of, there are adopted babies that are in, uh, those churches where they have these women have given birth to these babies and there have been adoption processes. And I'll give you one example. And there's probably people who are going to disagree or try to judge my motives in this, but there was um, one scenario where there was this young woman that had gotten pregnant in high school and uh, she didn't want an abortion, but she didn't want to, her parents would like basically disown her. And then she was going to lose a scholarship. And, uh, uh, among other things, we, you know, we did want to do whatever it took for that life. And so, and then we knew that the girl herself didn't want an abortion, but she also was like, I can't have this baby. And she had her own reasons. And so what we tried to do is make it, you know, the, the best we could cover whatever we could. We were willing to come and help me with the parents. We were, uh, we offered whatever what she was going to receive in scholarships to her school. Um, I personally offered to pay that amount to her, uh, there was people willing to adopt the baby, pay medical expenses, cart to and fro um, wherever she needed to go um, for this labor process and basically cover all of the things that she was fearful of. And uh, and it was very complicated at the end because once you remove all the practical reasons or excuses, what you're left with is really what you want and um, what you value. And some would argue that the, that situation, um, so the situation did, did end with an abortion, which was heartbreaking but we loved that girl uh a thousand percent the entire way and we didn't we didn't abandon her either when she made that decision because we know that's a hard decision to make even though i i would say that i think it was the wrong decision um we still had sympathy and compassion and love for her and helped her along her way after that too Uh, but it came down to there are certain values in her life with um, her parents and perceptions and career that she just decided that I don't want to deal with this. And, uh, and we, we did everything we could to meet every demand and on both sides of things. And so, and that's, to be honest, what I see from, from, um, an authentic church. That's, that's what I've seen 
uh, hundreds of times mm-hmm. is doing everything that we can on both ends of those um, yeah. pregnancies. And so I and agree. that stuff I'm, happens I'm, quietly constantly. Yeah. Well, that, that is true. That's a, probably a really good point that we're probably not posting on Facebook every good deed we think we try to do. And so right. you're not going to see all of the love and care. And, you know, um, you know, oh, I guess I'll just leave it at that for now. Yeah. That's it. I, I'm out of uh, dumb things I've seen on social media. <laughs> I'm sure I could come up with so, so quite the list, but yeah, I, uh, those were just the top five off of my head. Yeah. Um, that I could think of. So, so here's what I wanted to leave people with. So I know a difficult conversation, a difficult subject, but I wanted to leave people with something. And, um, so between now and when you start seeing those things hit ballot boxes and, um, you have to vote and, and you're trying to figure out how to have these conversations, or maybe you're listening to this and you're immediately, um, angered by where CJ and I have stand because you've been able to connect dots. Um, I think what I'd ask is uh, not the only verse, not the only chapter of the Bible, but a good one to go into. Not to just look at how how God views a baby in the womb, but how God cares for people and loves people. There's probably a thousand verses to go to, but Psalms 139 um, is almost too stereotypical for me to, to request you read. But as you read it, you see more than just the mother's womb uh, section, you see the love and care of God for his people. And so I would encourage you to read Psalm 139 and, and prayerfully consider these things. And if you see, uh, part two of this conversation, um, you know, I would encourage you to take a listen and see, and see where, see where we come out on this. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe there should be regulation on abortion due to it being life in the imago day life and there should be protections for uh the the ones who can't speak and protections for the weak um you have a responsibility to know why you believe what you believe and to be able to articulate that to people who have authentic questions about why you believe that otherwise sometimes you can be a person that has the right belief system but you're just too darn stupid to know how to communicate that to somebody. And so my hope is that uh, after another conversation or two in this, that we can uh, begin to move forward and uh, do something with the water that has flowed to the States. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, we hope that this was a gentle conversation. It was helpful. And we'll, you can be expecting another couple good conversations coming up. Good podcast. One, including biblical womanhood and what that looks like from the women who have walked through that process and get some practical things on what does that look like in their life um also we have a conversation on what does christian dating look like and things like that so very good stuff coming up thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you another time all right bye